So this conversation today is going to be a number two in a series. Um, I recommend that if you haven't listened or read the podcast about spiritual discord, it kind of sets the foundation for the continued conversation today. But I will tell you on this one, um, I'm going to tell you some secrets about me. I'm going to really say what I think and what I feel, and I'm really, really scared about that because I'm afraid that for those of you who feel different than me, that somehow that's going to create some kind of distance between the two of us, or you're not going to trust me the same, or um, I don't know. I'm just kind of worried that this is one of those places where if you disagree with me, I'm totally down with that and cool with that, mostly because I'm trying to get the right answer in my head, but I'm not, I'm not guessing that I've got all the right answers, and you may, and I don't, but this is what I think, and this is where I've come down on the issue. And this, I'm just asking myself the question, um, where is the sin in sex? And uh, I'm going to be dealing with what the United Methodist Church is doing. That's the denomination that I serve, and what I know many denominations have dealt with already and are dealing with coming down the road. The United Methodist Church is deep in the grip of homosexual conversation. And at the risk of oversimplification, um, two questions arise. Where does the UMC, United Methodist Church, stand on A, providing weddings for gay couples, and B, ordaining gay clergy? And then right now, of course, the Methodist Church says that that is incompatible with Christian teaching. What the future holds, I do not know. Now, me personally, I've reflected on this debate for a long, long time. And until this article, I've neglected to, um, to let anybody know my personal opinions on this matter. I've remained silent because I know this topic to be divisive. It's split other denominations and will certainly split my beloved church as well. But as long as I remain quiet, I can hold faithful relationships together and I won't make enemies. That may seem selfish, but I believe ultimately my goal is to help hold the church together and to help people remain together on the same pew. Even though others express what I'm thinking, like better than I do, it's time I stepped up to the plate and I participated in the conversation. The time has come for me to be honest. Now, I have changed my mind on this subject and I am ready to share my personal journey on this matter. I'm opening up knowing some people very, very close to me will be disappointed, which scares me, but I think it's time for a little bit of vulnerability. In my thinking, Tim Morrison, being gay, it's not a sin. Now, I used to think it was. I used to preach that it was. I regret that now. I have studied and prayed and contemplated, and now I have a different perspective. And allow me to share a few internal arguments that have shaped my alter insight, just to kind of let you know my journey. I want to begin with the toughest one for me. And that is scripture. The Bible has been front and center in this conflict for me. How would I claim faith in God and not adhere to scripture? With confidence, I stood on Leviticus 18.22 as my rationale for seeing homosexuality as a sin. Look it up if you like. But I had an uneasy feeling in my stomach because there were other scriptures which challenged my understanding of the truth. So why hold on to this scripture in Leviticus and not hold on to them all, hold on to them all. In other verses, I set my scriptural discernment on whether or not I could imagine Christ reading it to me. Now, I recommend that if 
you'd like a little bit more on that, you might really benefit from checking out my podcast on Genie versus God. For I have some thoughts there about biblical interpretation that, that really set the foundation for my biblical understanding. Now, I can't imagine Christ reading Ephesians 6, 5 to me about slavery any more than I can imagine Christ reading 1 Corinthians 14, 34 to my daughter, who is a gifted female clergy. Yes, I believe Jesus would remind me of Matthew 6.20 to store up my treasures in heaven, yet I still invest in a pension plan and hope God supports that decision. Everybody, me included, is challenged with biblical authority to find divine truths within the scripture. I join the ranks of faithful people who have once read scripture one way, only to see a different truth in a later reading. Wow, proof texting is hard to avoid. Biblical interpretation become, can become a selfish act and used to justify human choice. Am I guilty of that? Yeah, probably. Everybody is. You are too in my imagination. And it is with great humility and a hunt for self-awareness that I fight to overcome it. Prayer when reading is essential. The Holy Spirit is at work as much when the text is read as it was when it was written. I know deep in my soul that the Bible contains the Word of God. However, the Bible is not God. If that were the case, I would expand my, theo my theology of the Trinity. The Bible reveals God without being God. Christ is revealed in the Bible. Praise the Lord. Christ as illuminated in Scripture is the way. Christ is the truth. Christ is the life. You can read about that in John 14, 6. Therefore, I am compelled to read every text as if Jesus were quoting it, as he looked into my eyes. If I cannot imagine this, I must grapple with it. Now, with everything I have learned about Christ in Scripture, I can't imagine his condemnation of same-sex relationships. Why? Because Jesus drew a line in the sand on issues of love. He hung out with folks who stood on the edge of cultural sexual expectations. He was not about the old laws, but a new law about love. Everything I see in the way he lived his life was about love, and I don't see how a loving gay relationship is an abomination to Christ. I just can't imagine it. Christ is love, concerned with love. That's the whole value system in Christ. Second thing I needed to grapple with, the image of God, Genesis 1.27. I'll quote this one to you. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now this begs the question, how am I, how are you, how are we like God? Surely it's not in our physical appearance or in our anatomy. We are like God in that we have the capacity to choose divine love over human selfishness. I do believe that's what it means to be created and live into the image of God. And that is to become God's love as manifest in Christ. Another thing I've really been grappling with is the whole unnatural thing. For a long, long time, I simply categorized homosexuality as just unnatural. Surely this is not the way God created us and designed our interaction with each other 
It seems out of bounds and a distortion of the natural plan. It's not the way we fit together. Yet I can't imagine that God is concerned with procreation and populating the planet. Sex is more than a means to initiate birth. It is a gift from God that increases the bond between two people who love each other. In my heart, I believe God is ultimately concerned with our capacity to love God and to love each other. And it's that love that is natural. And it's unloving, which is unnatural in God's eyes. It is unnatural for us to use our bodies to manipulate or to use them for power. This crosses the line in sin. Here is the sin in sex, to use our bodies as instruments of power instead of love. And this is likely manifest in a heterosexual relationship as a homosexual relationship. I can't believe God is more concerned with where we place our anatomy and over how we show love with our anatomy. God cares about the latter, how we love with who we are. Another topic has been nature versus nurture. I used to think that science would determine whether or not someone was born gay, and that was important to me. It used to make a difference if people chose their sexuality. That mattered to me. It was easy to qualify homosexuality as a sin if I felt someone chose it rather than born with it. Well, that's not important to me anymore. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Because we're all born with predisposed inclinations that are set, powerful, and formative. I don't know if my ADHD is a psychological or physiological thing. It doesn't matter. It makes me no less real. It's not something I choose. Maybe I was born with it, or maybe I learned it, or maybe I give in to it, whatever. It's no less a part of me and who I am. And I'm not equating sexuality with attention deficit. Don't make that comparison. I'm just sharing my journey regarding nature versus nurture as irrelevant in my current perspective. We are who we are. And we are who we are by nature and how we are nurtured. The origination is no longer important or valid to me. The next topic I wondered about is sexuality contagious. I'm really, really thinking about this one now that I wonder in terms of our population and, and how now that it's accepted, will it, will it become more prolific? This topic has raised a great fear in me in the past. Yes, sexual behavior is learned. Um, there's another article that I've written uh, or you can listen to. It's called The Power of Porn. And it has a great deal of my thinking on how we are being shaped in our generation and in our time. We fill our minds with sexual expectations that define our realities. Pornography is shaping the sexual mores of a younger generation more than any of us comprehend. Fear then makes me draw crazy conclusions regarding contagiousness. I have asked silly questions. What if everyone becomes gay? What if our children are influenced to choose homosexuality due to the examples they admire? A gay authority figure is not going to make a child gay any more than a heterosexual adult will make a child straight. More importantly, a gay person is no more likely to be a predator than a straight person. Fear is a crazy thing and has the power to overshadow realities. 
The next thing I want to talk about with you is our culture. There are many things about our culture that are ungodly. Faithful people must stand in the wind of cultural popular convictions that are not of God and boldly proclaim the gospel. American culture has largely embraced homosexuality. Church folks who share in the sentiment can be seen as weak-minded. Christians who, who give in to what is popular in a desperate attempt to hang on to folks fleeing the church. More and more Christians are finding themselves in relationships with gay family members and friends, and they are forced to choose between loved ones and their church. I have been accused of changing my opinion on homosexuality simply because I love the gay kids in our church so deeply that I couldn't turn my back on them or publicly judge them as sinners. Now, I confess I want to be popular, but more than I want to be popular, I want to be in favor with God more than I want to be in favor with humanity. My opinions on based on who I understand Jesus Christ to be and what I think Jesus wants for humanity and how I think Jesus wants me to respond to this issue in this time in our history. I am not weak-minded. I'm not swayed by a culture or blinded by my love for gay kids in our congregation. Simply put, I want desperately to be who Christ wants me to be on this issue. And I have come to a new place through my discernment and prayer. The church has examples of being behind the culture on issues that I, Tim Morrison, believe were hurtful and caused a great deal of pain. A. Churches condone slavery in the American South. B. Even to this day, some churches exclude women from spiritual authority. Many in American culture were ahead of Christ, were ahead of the church in battling these issues. Are we not in the same place with this third issue? It saddens me to believe that the way the church traditionally views homosexuality is, and has, is causing incredible pain, while Jesus continues to love and foster love in gay relationships. Sin. Love the sinner, but hate the sin. I have said that so many times, but one day I pause and I ask myself, where is the sin in homosexuality? I went through all of the arguments I mentioned above, and all I have to go do is go back to my definition of sin. This is Tim's. Sin is that which separates us from God. What separates me from God? Thwarted, rejected, avoided, procrastinated love. What things make me sin? Selfishness, fear, self-appointed judgment, and lack of love. I can't find sin in a loving gay relationship. I can find it in me when I don't see love and I don't support love when I see it. So the future. The United Methodist Church will split over this issue. I will continue to love the United Methodist Church and I will follow its guidelines. And even though I find nothing wrong in a gay marriage, I will not perform one and lose my credentials over the issue. This is my hypocrisy and I'm broken over it. And even though I feel I could be and have been led and inspired by other gay clergy, I know that many others cannot grasp that scenario 
and I will not force that upon them to have a gay clergy in their pulpit. I would not force that any more than I would force a woman on a sexist congregation or someone of a different culture on a racist congregation. And my hypocrisy continues and my brokenness grows. My heart is shattered over this. I have such empathy with folks who see it differently than me because I see it differently than I used to. I hope and pray that this issue will not keep us from sitting on the same pew and singing praises to God together. We have so much in common beyond this issue. We need each other. I need you. We must unite in our cause to bring Christ to a world that is turning away from God. I do not know all of the future that holds for the United Methodist Church. I just know what it holds for me. I will continue to put Christ at the center of my thinking in the way I read my Bible, in the way I love everyone on this earth, and the way I share that love with you.